2: I'm in politics because I believe poverty is immoral. I think it is a solvable problem, and we have to have good people who are fighting to change that. And so I need to always pick the jobs that help me move the ball forward on that issue. And so 2020 is definitely on the table.
3: People, let me warn you, today's episode of Jamel Hill is Unbothered is jam-packed. Former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is here to discuss the Mueller report and if she plans on running for president. And the boys are back. Plus one, Cole Wiley and Michael Arsenault join me and we've got company. TMZ's Van Lathan is falling through. So here's your first warning. Me and the fellas are breaking down Avengers Endgame and Game of Thrones. So spoiler fucking alert. Let's get to it. So the boys are back in town. Yeah, this is why I don't sing. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is why karaoke is a bad idea. I'm so happy to be back in the company of my brothers. Cole is back. Back. Michael Arsenault is back. Hey, hey. <laughs> and we have a little bit of company, Van Lathan from TMZ. Hey. In the, his house. What up? And you know, this is probably one of the few times you're probably on anything where people are not like asking you about a bunch of gossip, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. This, this is going to be well, totally a few times. Well,
4: a few times in life, though, because people come up to me and like at the grocery store and be like, yo, man, you think Lamar and Chloe going to get back together? <laughs> I'd be like, if you don't let me buy this bacon... Get out of my face,
3: man. Yeah, I bet. I bet everybody's always coming to you for some tea. But this is going to be different. And let let me just say off top, because you know how people complain about spoiler alerts. This is a spoiler alert fucking podcast, all right? Mm. We're talking about two things (laughs) in this opening block before we get to my interview later on with Stacey Abrams. But for all you people who have been asking me to break down Avengers Endgame, breakdown, Game of Thrones, where we are at this particular point in the final season, is going down right now. So if you haven't seen either, then I'm going to need you to hit pause, continue to download this, save it for later after you've seen both. But at this point, I feel like if you haven't seen this, either one of these, that's your fucking fault. Like, that's not even on me.
1: Get your life together.
4: Thank you. Endgame uh, in- is one thing, but Game of Thrones is on TV, man. And with Game of Thrones, first of all, we- we've lost <laughs> the see- six Endgame, listen, you might have... Work or something like that, you can't get to the theater. That's one thing. But Game of Thrones comes on TV. You got two hours after the show has been on the air because we live tweet the show. We always been live tweeting Game and of Thrones And people are since still complaining
3: about the live tweeting. I
4: think the spoiler culture is going too far, man. Yeah, yeah. It's at some point you have a responsibility as a nerd to go out and consume this stuff. I can't hold your hand through this stuff,
3: man. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. And I feel the same way too. I have no mercy, so I, I'll let it be sort of. Well, it won't be dealer's choice, but I'll, I'll leave it up to the room. What are we starting with? We starting with Endgame, but we starting with Game of Thrones. Any, any vote?
1: I mean, it's your show. I'm a in the house. All right. We're going
3: to start with Game of Thrones. All right. So Cole, for yes. those who don't know, Cole... Somehow magically dropped Game of Thrones after, but s- I
1: know exactly what's going on at the same time. <laughs> well, we,
3: we did kind of <laughs> tell no, you before this whole thing. No,
1: I mean I don't know all the details, but I was like, all right, so yeah, the White Walkers going, Night King going, okay, now it's just who's going to get the throne?
3: Right, exactly.
1: So
0: just clue me in. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. The fact that you don't watch it because you didn't say that with passion—that's the problem. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you
1: know,
0: you know. Game s- of Thrones. I feel like it's not a
1: passion. Wait, it's a, it's an what? obsession. Okay, but
3: it's, stop an obsession. It right there. What? it's an obsession. It's an
0: obsession. It's not a passion. It's an obsession. All right. Mm. Passion spurs that obsession. Okay.
3: So um, we are, what, four episodes in the Game of Thrones? We just wrapped four. This was four four last night. All right, four was last night. If Everybody's like, okay, well, which one is four? Four is the one where we saw, you know, some love go down. Brianna Tarth and Jamie
4: Buried all the dead from the Battle of Winterfield. Buried all the dead from the Battle
3: of Winterfield. And then it's all kind of other fuck shit to go down that we'll discuss. Yeah. But there has been a lot of complaints so far about this season from Game of Thrones fans feeling, they feel a little unsatisfied. Um, Mike, I'll I'll start with you. Like, what's kind of your take so far on on this season?
0: Apparently, people are already going to be mad at me, but I actually liked last night's episode. I know a lot of people took issue with it. I happened to like it. I actually thought at first maybe it was moving a little too slow, but then it kind of really got better. I enjoyed it. I will, I, I get why Brienne the Stallion, as some of the blacks call her, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not I
4: Breanne understand how the like, Stallion. the notion of a,
0: like how she finally got some dick and then all of a sudden she started acting like dickmatized or whatever you want to call it. I, I do get that that was a little peculiar and that w- that's a trope that they do on female characters. I, I do get that. However, I I mean, in my, maybe I'm romanticizing, but I feel like They've had that tension for a really long time, and so I was very happy to see him not fucking somebody that wasn't kin to him, and I was really happy that she got some because, I don't know, maybe it was a little tropey, but I actually liked the episode. I actually loved that Sansa already told people's business because Sansa is my girl. Are you mad, Jamel, with the season?
3: Because I, I, I like it. I'm not mad, but I'm curious, Van, what's, what's your take? Because you, you guys have been in the hive longer Yo, than me. Yo, I'm kind of not fucking with it. I'm not going to lie. Like Tying up all of these huge,
4: huge questions, right, these gigantic, huge questions, I just don't feel like they're giving us enough of that ugh that we waited for. Remember, Game of Thrones was gone for a year, right? Uh, and then it came back, and it seems like these are... Ordinary Game of Thrones episodes, like the show, it, the show is too well put together and the stories are too well crafted for it to be whack, but the level of epicness that I expected from this final season, it doesn't really feel like it's there. As far as last night, I actually didn't have a problem with Brienne and the emotion that she showed because to me, she's always been a character that sort of accessed her emotion in order to do sort of what she was, what, what, she, what she did. Like she, she's never been like, she's never not shown that she's vulnerable and, you know, Jamie was a handsome-ass dude, so she got it going. But as far as, like, the show yesterday, I, I just think for some reason I'm wanting more. And
0: maybe that's because I built it up in my mind. Maybe it's not fair to the show. The year build-up was more so, like, production and, <laughs> like, they were trying to... Like, I, I don't know. I think the year may probably made people think it was going to be bigger. But to me, the show is moving at the pace that... It normally does. Like I actually initially thought, maybe the way the Night King died was a little anticlimactic. But I'm like, no, this actually makes sense. They've been building this out the whole time. It, I don't know. I guess I didn't assign so much to it. Um, I guess I'll know by the end because I know some people have been comparing it to like the Sopranos final season. But I actually didn't mind that one. Yeah, yet. I was gonna so. say even as somebody who has like not been watching Game of Thrones recently, I just feel like television
1: shows are notorious for like. Not necessarily meeting people's expectations, especially final that final season. season. Always, like yeah. The Wire, for instance. Oh. Best season was season four,
3: yeah, by far. Or three, I'll go three or four. You could, you three could, or four, but it's not four. five. And no, that was
1: the last season. And
3: five, I thought, it, it, it to me, five David Simon went to inside baseball on the newspaper industry. And I say this as somebody who is a career journalist. And worked at newspapers for half of my career. I don't know if that was that interesting to a I lot of people. I didn't give a shit, right? Like exactly. it, it was it, right.
4: watching it. It was like it was cool to see. I don't know. It was interesting to a degree when the guy was plagiarizing and making up all of that stuff and like the, everything that was going on in the paper. Yeah, page, and McNulty, I, was McNulty was using that. was using the same fund thing wiretaps, to wiretaps. Yeah, I, I
3: was like, but this is this this too much of this. Yeah, it was like it was
4: I I didn't I didn't give a fuck about that entire thing. Well I I love that show.
3: I will say this about this final season of Game of Thrones, and my perspective is probably a little off as somebody who just started watching a month and a half ago. So I didn't have that long wait like you guys did in terms of building this show up and expecting that, you know, this was about to be some apocalyptic TV. That being said, I did think the way they tied up the Night King was very anticlimactic. Not the way he died. Where you know Aria. Yeah, that was dope. You know, right? That was a a death befitting him, or more, really Arya. Like it really didn't have anything to do with the Night King. But yo, for real, the Night King. to You know, he's gonna terrorize all these lands and, and build this dead army. And he ain't gonna throw one punch? Like, not one? Like, yeah. him and John, like, no fight? Like, nada? Yeah. Like, he ain't even give him a two-piece, a 3 like, a threatened one? Like, what? Do you guys feel like y'all <laughs> have
1: somewhat of, like, a postpartum kind of symptoms, like, with the Night King dying, and then you still
0: have so many episodes left to, like, close out the series? Is that part of it? No, or? I don't give a fuck that he dead. I'm glad he dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe the way he died, to me, didn't bother me as much because I just remember her, her the way she was trained and how, working with like how to kill it she snuffed him so that's kind of why he didn't swing because that was like the whole point she was supposed to like jump up on him and do it that way but I guess
3: but Mike it was like no fighting leading to that point and that that's what I'm saying And, he, just...
0: and he was he was made up to be the ultimate
4: harbinger right. of doom right this thousands right. of year old right. unbeatable unshakable right. force and you never got a sense of that. You never got a sense of just how powerful the Night King was at the Battle of Winterfell. I well, never. that's why
1: I asked. I was like, a postpartum thing. It's like you have this build up through this whole series, even though I haven't seen every every episode. I know that that was like a huge part of the series. And now that he's gone, and in the way that it happened, it just seems like y'all people are just wanting. They're lacking something, and I'm not sure what it is. See, I think people care less.
4: I'm gonna speak for myself. I care less about defeating the Night King, which I knew what happened, right, and more about who wins the Iron Throne. Right, Right. that
3: was always the big storyline. Yeah, and I know that some people felt unsatisfied because they wanted, I don't know, a bigger. Even though this is one of the most epic battle scenes ever put on film, they just wanted more of the Night King. You know, like really doing work to show the full extent of his powers. And I guess that's what it was. I didn't get a sense from that, you know, battle at Winterfell. What was the full extent of his powers? I mean, I knew when he touched you, what happens there. So, basically, the two things I saw from the Night King were touching and staring. So, him and Brown, <laughs> <Touching> and <staring. laughs> him and Brown was just like, we just look, about to just, stare off, They dog. Just, just looking at each other. <laughs> they just like, looking at each other. I'm, I'm, I'm like, like,
4: like, yo, is somebody going to do something? <laughs> right. like, it's like, you like, they were having, it's like they were having
3: a silent, if you bad, knock it right. off my shoulder. And yeah. I'm like, mm, somebody, I mean, I know Brown is kind of limited, but it's like, right. he going to outthink your ass. Wait, hold up. Can we just talk about Brown for a minute? Ah,
4: he gets on my nerves.
3: Man. This dude. So when John, by the way, John and Daenerys in many ways deserve each other because they both some non-strategic ass emotional. I'm sick motherfuckers. of dragon
0: breath. You- <laughs> <laughs> dragon breath got on my nerves last night and a few episodes before.
3: Man, I mean, it's just like they both are emotional decision makers. Daenerys is like, yo, don't tell your fucking sisters that what your real heritage is, it's going to create some problems, which everybody can see. He's like, no, it won't be like that. Really, dude? Yes, it's going to be exactly like that. He finally has this little side meeting with Sansa and Arya. Bronn is there with his staring ass. And he was like, it's up to you. It's your decision. I was like, dog, you just dropped these little t-hints. And he's looking like, well, perhaps I should tell them. Not shocked at their reaction. At all, like everybody yeah. can see this shit coming.
0: He's so annoying. He's so annoying. He's so whipped by his auntie. <laughs> like,
3: like, like, like that's how <laughs> she
1: goes in my family. Like
4: yo, all just aside, like that dude in the in the living room. <laughs> that's your
0: granddad's outside son. Don't tell. Sansa nobody. is such a good judge of character. She is. Right, they she tell is. everyone that right. Sansa. Sansa's keeping. Sansa whole was show like, yup,
3: "Yep, yeah. uh huh." I ain't gonna say shit. Two minutes later, cut to <laughs> Sansa like a hey, yes. Tyrion. Yeah. Let me tell you what. Yeah.
0: Right. The Trump and Dragon breath. Like she is a total Tyrion. <laughs> she has those ten. Tendencies.
3: Yeah, and she was she was schooled by Littlefinger, so she understands the you know how the flow of information could be powerful. And and quietly at this point, her and Arya are the only two people really operating with common sense. Tyrion's like decision making is awful. It's just like, dude, your sister tried to assassinate you. She she fucks your brother, number one, all right? <laughs> You've seen her blow up half a city, but yet every time you like, but she love her children. Surely yeah. she's not that bad. No, that bitch is that bad. She's the she worst. She is that <laughs> bad. One
4: thing I, I noticed about Game of Thrones last night is the women... On Game of Thrones, make all the smart moves, win all the big battles, and then the men just get credit for
3: it. Yeah. Like Which was Daenerys' well, whole like problem. Lies. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. right, yeah,
4: so, right. Sansa won the Battle of the Bastards. Thursday we'll get some of her credit. Sansa won the Battle of the Bastards, right? Yep. She 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 won that. Now and then everyone's like, King of the North, John. Arya won the Battle of Winterfell, and everyone's still on John. John hadn't
3: really
0: got off in a while. He hasn't
3: yet. like what's the last what's the last significant killing John has had? I don't know, man. I know at he was about was to a while be fried
0: in blue. I'm sick of him, but like, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought <laughs> you up Tyrion. said fried and blue. <laughs> Tyrion, get, I, like I like him but like dude, your sister ain't shit. She been telling you she ain't shit this whole time. She literally walked into a room, I ain't shit, but it's mine. What you going to do? I actually like that consistency. With her. Correct. She would be harder to kill than the Night King. It's like, Tyrion, what is it about your sister that you see that is good in her? She wants you dead, honestly. Right. Surprised she didn't have you killed on... Okay, I'm done. I just He gets on my nerves. No, no, he shit.
3: does because the, the one thing it feels like the only person who truly gets this is Sansa. It's like, yep. do you know... Queen. This bitch will kill everybody up in here. Yeah. She twice. does not care twice, mm-hmm. right? Her own son leapt out a window. She was like, "Fuck it." I, I, I mean, I, I, like that was literally the yeah, reaction. She was like, like "Fuck now. it." She yeah, was like, "All right." Her son jumps out
4: the window. The next thing is not her, His next thing is her getting coronated. Like I'm like the, the shit is on me now. Right. So and then that and that's another problem I have Tyrion throughout this entire show has been the guy that we've looked to as the biggest brain in all of Westeros, right? And just getting worked by Cersei. Getting work, like just getting work. <laughs> getting work. Even walked up there last night, like it was gonna be any. Different. Oh,
3: can we talk about Miss Sandy?
4: Oh my God, can
3: we talk about oh. her? Okay, look, Aww.
4: Cersei, I, can never you know, I know. So I, was sad. Sad.
3: <laughs> I know. She. I Grey thought Worm. it was gonna be
4: her and Grey Worm rubbing on each other somewhere. It, like Grey Worm and
3: her, it's just like every black character we've ever seen in movies, right? It's like uh, Kane and Jada was supposed to go to Atlanta, right? Were uh, they supposed no, to go there? Why are you bringing In that shit up? Society. Ricky yeah. was supposed to go to USC. Miss Sandy and Gray Worm <laughs> was supposed to be in Cancun somewhere, fucking around with everybody else. Not,
0: th- not throwback not Thursday trauma. <laughs> no, I know. Like
4: I like in minutes, Sharif caught some. Why Sharif had to die, man? But uh, but yeah, she and to watch her get her head lopped off like that and just fell down when you knew she was dead at the moment, that was tough. I don't know why we the had moment
3: to go she got like up that, there,
4: we all knew she, she was, was dead. Gone.
0: She I could old. never remember her name. I used to call her Queen Sugar cousin because she looks like <laughs> Darlene Queen Sugar's cousin, first cousin. Wow. could never remember her name, but Miss Andy, I'm sorry, RIP. Yeah,
3: uh, that was that was tough. I mean, it, but we all knew that Cersei. First of all, her offering a truce. Like, I don't even know why they went through <laughs> right, that. Right. right? Like, oh, oh, she, she knows she she have messed up one of your dragons. Y'all came there with about five people. She got about 5,000 behind she her. She got a whole, what the whole fucking that? thing was stupid. I why don't was she why? supposed to
4: surrender? Yeah. Ever. Well, what would she have surrendered to? They had like 15 unsullied out there against like a three or 4,000 golden compensation. She's the only one there. that has
0: good military planning because her, her mantra is cash money is an army, better yet a navy. Like, she's ready, and what? here they come <laughs> hobbling <laughs> Did over. Like yes, a in there. Yes, it's always okay to make a crash money reference. <laughs> yeah. so.
3: But no, you're you're I just don't understand why they think they can negotiate with this woman because it's just right. she has proven that there is no level of negotiation. My negotiation is you're dead. There's no one who yes. wound up in Cersei's company that act that was captured, I should say, by Cersei that actually lived. So as soon as Miss Sandy was gone, they should have been like, RIP, Miss Sandy. So this is how we get up in there and Their whole game plan from the beginning should have been burning that shit down. Sorry. That that should have been a game plan from the beginning. Yeah, Cersei only
4: cares about her kids. She lost all her kids. In many ways, she's just trying to wreak havoc at this point. She wants to make everybody pay for all of their allegiances that cost
3: her whole whole family. You think Euron picked up on the clue that that baby ain't his? Because Tyrion was like... How would Tyrion know about you? Like, come on, dog. I was do waiting for him to cut to him. <laughs> right. For him to be like, for Wait. him to raise the eyebrow, For him to what, be like, like, one... how you, how, like, how do you know? Like, exactly. Yeah. For him to be like, one, two, carry the one, times three. Yeah. Oh, that shit oh, do oh, so no not even make no sense. That shit is not mine. Yeah. I mean, but we know time is, you know, especially men, I guess, of that period, time is really fluid. Because mm. as soon as she told him, it's like, didn't y'all just get together like two weeks ago? Right. She was like, I'm pregnant. I'm
1: like, wait. <laughs> you know what I feel like watching y'all go back and forth about this stuff? I feel like I'm at a black barbecue and y'all are talking about all the fuckery in the family. And I'm just getting my, <laughs> exactly. potato, I'm just getting my potato salad Tell like, you. oh shit, I ain't oh, even know all it. Yeah.
3: It's all right. That's when you find out about side families <laughs> exactly. and, yeah. and cousins Fucking cousins and like correct crazy and things shit. you didn't know about. Well we're gonna pivot to something I that so Cole can and really Cole, this is this is really in, in, in your wheelhouse. Yeah. We got to talk about Avengers Endgame, which we all have Mm. seen. Mm. Cole, with you being the director in this group, Mm -hmm. give us your take on what you thought about Endgame.
1: Well, you know, the funny thing was is that I just watched Infinity War recently, too, because I had fallen behind. But I watched Infinity War. I watched Endgame. And the level of mythology... That they have woven into the Marvel universe is just operating at a now,
3: very it, high Now, just real level. quick, how many how many of Marvel uh, movies have you seen? All or just
1: the majority? The majority. Okay. I have not seen Captain Marvel. I have not seen Thor Ragnarok, but I think I've seen everything else. Okay. So, like, I know the canon, and I grew up reading the comic books. But literally, it's just like human beings are just—they love the power of myth. And it's just like, so what you guys are talking about Game of Thrones and the disappointment that came in, I feel like people that are going to see Avengers right now feel fully satisfied walking out of that experience, or very much so, it seems like. But I don't know. I mean, it's an individual Which experience. is remarkable, by the it's, way. That's what I'm saying. It's remarkable. Yeah. And again, like when I saw the level of craft that they stepped up to with Infinity War and the level of storytelling, and they brought that into Endgame, it's like, you know what's going to happen with Endgame sort of before it happens. But I just feel like it all paid off in a very beautiful way. And now you're curious about like what the rebirth is gonna be. What's the next step? You know, where's this gonna go?
3: Well you're right, it it is hard. And you know, using that Game of Thrones comparison it is very appropriate because it's hard to wrap up something that has become a major part of people's lives. And we're talking about twenty one Marvel movies. They found a way in Endgame to me to put a bow on almost all of them to give you something from each. Like especially when they go back in time to try to intersect or interrupt the points where um one of the infinity stones may have been taken it takes you back um and it was like a great retrospective of what this series has meant and to me it is definitely it definitely can be also um construed as a as a tribute to Tony Stark cuz if if Robert Downey Jr is not as great as he is at Iron Man the rest of the Marvel universe doesn't happen yeah and so um i just me i mean i teared up at several points yeah several I'm, points like
4: it it, it's not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's the most satisfying. And it's satisfying in a way that was even difficult. It, they satisfied me more than I think even they thought that they could. Like, the, the character of Tony Stark, we've gotten so intimately acquainted with all of his flaws, right? But one of the biggest flaws, one of the biggest things that, like, was on top of him had nothing to do with being a superhero, it was something that was very relatable to anyone that had a father, which was how do you live up to your dad and how do you relate to your dad? Before Tony died, uh, he got a chance to talk to his father. He got a chance to see that his dad was just like a normal guy like him that was scared of having a titan of industry, captain of all of this stuff. He got a chance to hug his dad before he was born. Like, for them to even have the 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 foresight to see that wrapping up this character isn't just about him having him saving the world. Wrapping up this character is about him embracing vulnerabilities and things in his life that he felt like he didn't get a chance to do. And they wove it into the plot very, very seamlessly. And other than that, from reading to reading comic books when, when you're a kid, right, these things are so unbelievably well written and so deep. The one criticism you have of them as a moviegoer is that they can never get that feeling of that uh, climatic battle where something happens that you didn't think was going to happen and you're looking at it on a panel on the page. That's exactly what Endgame was. Cap has me in there and the whole theater is like people are standing up going. Yo,
3: when he grabbed the the hammer? Yeah.
4: People people are standing up going. That was crazy. What? That was crazy. And that's like (laughs) what reading a panel of a comic book when you're a kid and it's on the last panel and you see him holding the hammer or something like that. That's that's what it's like. And they were able to actually accomplish that on screen and wrap up all of these characters and kind of make us leave us wanting more as well.
0: I thought it was. Fantastically, amazingly, remarkable. Well,
3: then. Mike, what was your take?
0: Okay, so as someone that only have seen has seen about like two of those twenty one movies. Um, <laughs> Wait,
3: what was the other Dude. one you saw?
0: I'm I'm actually padding, so I think I know I've seen <laughs> Iron <laughs> Man. I <You laughs> saw Endgame,
1: and that was it. I saw
0: Robert Downey Jr. in that, and then I was kind of counting on <laughs> me seeing Robert Downey Jr. and Ally McBeal because to me he was a superhero. Oh in that yeah, I used to love him. Yeah, oh. oh, he was Bill. dope in that. Yeah, so I saw Infinity. The Thingy, before I watched the Game Infinity of Infinity The
3: Thingy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one thingy. was
0: cool. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I really got it. Um, and then I saw Endgame yesterday um, at the fancy theater that they have now, having the Magic Johnson Theater. So, it's my my balance. Okay, so that was a long movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, I hadn't mentally prepared for that as much as I thought I did. Um, the first hour, I think if I had seen the other 20 movies, I would have understood it better. But okay, you're setting context. Fine, I'm still with you. Then I really got into it. It was nice to see the people in the theater be so happy. As someone who is just not familiar, I will say they they're well done and entertaining. The, like, really good superhero movies, the ones I remember actively seeing as a kid, is kind of, like, much better now. So I got that. I would have to g- report back and see the other, like, at least maybe 10 of them. Well, I mean, there's, like... I, but I was entertained. I, I mean, America's ass, I got it. I got it. Um, oh, America, yeah, yeah, Captain America, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say Zoe Saldana, for all those comments she makes that, you know, make, give me a headache. Mama being in these movies that make a lot of money, so good for her. Um, she was fine as green thing. I don't remember Green. As green thing. thing. Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was entertained. I, I I don't have like a thorough
3: no, no, I mean, it, but it, but it is good to get the perspective of somebody um, who hasn't seen it, and and I think at, at last count, the movie has already made two billion dollars. Oh, it's crushing, and I expect it it may probably finish with the the highest yeah. of all. Oh, time. Well, it's it It's second was, now. Yeah, it's, yeah, second it's, now. Yeah, Titanic, it's I think, is the only one. No, they, it passed Titanic. It passed Titanic. Yes.
1: Avatar is limited. Avatar, yeah, so. which I
3: can't believe. Like, yeah. I, I don't
1: understand it. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Avatar is this experience.
3: Yeah, I've never seen Avatar. And I never. Think that's part of it. No, and I don't regret that. You're all right. Yeah, I feel like I didn't saw Fern
4: Gully. Or right, any of right. these other re- movies Fern where... Ferngully was or, lit. Ferngully is dope. Fern Gully. But, it's, yeah. Or any movie where a it's white like Dances dude Dances with Wolves with, yeah. with blue people. Yeah. Or The Last Samurai or any of those <laughs> movies. Oh, Last
3: Samurai with the white dude? Yeah. yeah. Okay, but, got so you. The, exactly. But
1: the Japanese people are blue. Exactly. Same shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Yeah.
3: Good, good to know. Um, the points in Endgame where I teared up and got emotional mm. um, was Tony, that, that sort of CGI goodbye to his daughter, when the black people came through... Yeah. right Word. when because uh, the last I mean I knew everybody knew Black Panther was coming back because right. Black Panther 2 I think is coming out next year yeah. but when as a staff record label and a crew when everybody came <laughs> back yeah. and then yeah. there was Tashala and yeah. then of course um, you had the Dora Milaje like all that when the, all that happened and they were all on screening and then of course when all the women were together like damn we gotta save y'all again yeah. yeah. alright here we go and then, you know, Thor, when he had that, you talk about talking to your parent and, and realizing, mm. you know, some some vulnerabilities there when he talked to his mother and because um, that was very was sweet up. because Thor yeah. and I thought Fat Thor was a brilliant twist. Was was a Fat fantastic, Thor. brilliant twist to add to this.
1: Yeah.
3: Thor is out here slaying four thousand people with a body mass index of yeah. seventy percent. But he out John, here. He was the
1: John Daly of the
3: Avengers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally. Totally. That's a great comparison. <laughs> Thor <laughs> out here drunk. He needs to go to a meeting. <laughs> Hitting the but ball three hundred. But these, but you know, these
4: dudes been through a lot, man. They've mm-hmm. been through a lot of battles. It's good to yeah. see that it weighs in their brains. Yeah. So that was dope. The biggest cry for me Mm. was when everybody showed up. Yeah. Because the one thing that you had got a sense of while watching all of the movies was just how bad the end of Infinity War was for Mm. all of those characters. Like, they lost. Yeah. They lost. It was traumatizing. It was traumatizing. They lost bad. Yeah. And to see them all back together, like, you could just exhale. Like, when I say I cried... I'm not talking about, like, a couple of tears. <laughs> you was like- I'm talking about, like, I was yeah. crying Two to a point woman. to where- Two were crying next to me by the end. Yes. 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 Balling. It's like until dude next to me, it's like he he's looking at me like, oh, yo, I wonder if this nigga's <laughs> all right. All
1: right. Like, <laughs> are you good? <laughs> are you straight, though? But, like, I-, I couldn't have been happier with the movie. Man. Well, I think that everybody like had some level of cathartic experience with it, and everybody's talking about the things that moved them emotionally. But we're talking about life. We're talking about reaching a point where you feel utterly defeated in your journey, which they did in Infinity War, and to come back from that. But all the play, like parts that y'all are talking about, it's about that inner journey and like figuring out how to place yourself in a position in your heart and your soul where you're in your purpose and where you're where you're supposed to be and you're with your loved ones. And no matter what happens, everything's gonna be okay. And it's like basic mythology. It's like the greatest journey that we always go on is always the journey within. Mm. And how do you extrapolate that into big battles and epic battles and Game of Thrones and Infinity War? And I just think that, yo, Marvel crushed it. Yeah, yeah.
3: they did. I mean it's 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 certainly I think the the maybe the most successful I haven't sort seen of series. Like this. Me yeah. neither. Um yeah. and, and what was interesting is I remember a debate started on on Twitter about uh the Batman trilogy, which I think Probably mm. before maybe Marvel, I considered the best set of you know superhero movies ever.
4: Um, Tom Nolan here. Yeah, yeah. Nolan. Yeah.
3: Yes, Nolan definitely. Um, yeah. So that was to me the the benchmark, the the gold standard. The thing is, with Marvel's been 21 movies, but like, is are there three movies in the Marvel universe that you think can stack up to the Batman trilogy? I think the Captain yeah. America trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Civil War. I. The, the, it's the tough, first man. One, though, the, first ones, the first one was terrible. Uh, but, but the first but see, one was terrible. I mean, okay, it wasn't terrible. But last two in an but, Avengers But I'll be honest Black with man you,
4: is. I don't think that Dark Knight Rises is that great of a movie. Oh, you tripping. I don't think it's. The Dark Knight the is, Dark, Knight is, is a fantastic movie. Batman Begins is a great. great movie. Movie. And yep. then Dark Knight Rises is okay. It, okay. It's okay. See, I love Bane. And so to me, that's why I'd say that Captain America the First Avenger is okay. Winter Soldier is fantastic and Civil War is a fantastic and the, as well. and the through
1: line between those Captain America movies that you love in the Avengers are Joe and Anthony Russo. The yeah, directors. Yeah, yeah, they changed it. They, 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 you gotta give them a lot of credit in the same way that you had to give Nolan a lot of credit in what he did with Batman at that time. Yeah. Nobody was making movies like that. So it takes people with a certain gift and vision to kind of expand and stretch. The canon, which they did in these movies.
3: Look, I, I hate to wrap this up, but unfortunately we have to a thorough breakdown of Game of Thrones and Avengers. Mike, look, I, I feel like I, I need to to really thank you for sitting through three hours. <laughs> I pray you didn't drink anything and like, you know, um it, it wasn't like holding your pee for no, like 30 no, minutes.
0: No, no bathroom breaks. Okay, just, no bathroom um. breaks,
3: but that, that's that's what I call a team player. The fact that you went to see this movie. And uh, much like you, Cole, suffering through this uh, talk of Game of Thrones it wasn't this-
1: suffering for me. And look, Michael, I know. Look, he, at least he got to walk away with talking about America's ass. You know? <laughs> mm. Yeah,
0: no, the movie was cool. I, I, I just need to study up, but I enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. good. This wasn't this wasn't a nightmare. All I've right. seen worse movies. I it will. wasn't like you made me go see Medea eats whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Medea, <laughs> <Madea> eats lunch. <laughs>
3: Medea <Madea laughs>
1: eats whatever. <laughs> Medea
3: eats hog maws. <laughs> That's why I can't take y'all nowhere. Well, and Van, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You'll definitely have to come through again, and next time we'll gossip. How about that?
4: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, maybe no. Hey, uh, HBO, (laughs) get this together, man.
3: I get this Game of Thrones (laughs) situation, (laughs) Uh the
4: I'm not playing around, man. I've been waiting on this for a long time. I'm I'm feeling, I'm a little uneasy right now. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. A little uneasy right now.
3: Well, hopefully, we'll have to reconvene once the series or the season, rather, season eight is over and see how we feel about it then. We're not done here. Uh, Coming up next, my interview with Stacey Abrams. Will she run for president? You'll find out on the other side. Now, it's not often that people gain by losing, but I really believe that my next guest did exactly that in sort of a roundabout fashion. Now, Stacey Abrams made history by being the first black woman to ever become the nominee for governor in the history of the United States. Think about that shit. She ran for governor of Georgia against Brian Kemp. Now, she didn't lose to Kemp. She just didn't win. And the reason myself and many others say that is because Kemp was very unapologetic in his dogged efforts to suppress votes. And I believe if it weren't for those efforts and for the overall systematic breakdown in Georgia, Stacey Abrams would be governor of that state right now. Now, had that happened to me, I would have been sitting in the dark, flicking the light switch on and off like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. That reference was for my over 40 listeners, by the way. But as the old adage goes, it's not how you fall that matters. It's how you get up. And last November, Stacey Abrams gave an incredible TED Talk where she let everybody know this momentary setback has put her in position for a major comeback, maybe even a presidential one. Let's listen.
2: And now I'm tasked with figuring out how do I move forward? Because you see, I didn't want to just open the gates for young black women who had been underestimated and told they don't belong. I wanted to open those gates for Latinas and for Asian Americans. I wanted to open those gates for the undocumented and the documented. I wanted to open those gates as an ally of the LGBTQ community. I wanted to open those gates for the families that have to call themselves the victims of gun violence. I wanted to open those gates wide for everyone in Georgia, because that is our state and this is our nation, and we all belong here.
3: Stacey, it's um, interesting that I have you on the podcast on this particular day, because as of taping, this is the same day that Robert Mueller's redacted report has dropped. And it's important that we use the word redacted, because I've seen in a lot of media reports saying, oh, he's releasing the full report. Like, no, no, this is a redacted version. This is not actually, uh, we actually don't know everything that is in there. And I know you're still digesting it. And I know a lot of people are still reading the pages at this point. But what was sort of your general reaction based off the little bit you have been able to digest?
2: Number one, that William Barr is not representing the United States of America, which is his job. His job is to serve as the attorney for the people, not as the personal attorney of the president. And having served as a deputy city attorney, I mean, it's a much smaller job to have. But my job was never to represent the mayor or the city council. My job was to represent the citizens. And I'm deeply disappointed that he has taken it upon himself to I think, undermine the role of the attorney general in order to protect the person who appointed him, because that's not why we do this. Number two, I think that what Robert Mueller said in the report was not that there was any exoneration. It was that there was insufficient information based on a pattern of misbehavior, uh, misrepresentation, and threats from the president that led to People just opting not to, to do what he commanded as opposed to his lack of intention to commit a crime. And so I'm, I'm very worried about what we don't know. And I'm hopeful that we will get fuller information over time. I'm, I'm pleased that Representative Nadler is going to push for testimony and hopefully we will get a full reporting eventually.
3: There are things in there, at least, again, as people are still digesting the report, that show um, that maybe they don't exonerate the president by any stretch, but you could read some of it and go between the lines and say, well, this doesn't exactly stop any particular case for impeachment if... You know, our lawmakers wanted to go in that direction. In general, I mean, is is impeachment something that you feel like should still be on the table?
2: I think impeachment is the necessary step when we believe the law has been broken by the President of the United States. The Mueller report provides sufficient information for inquiry. I don't know that it rises to the step of actually calling for articles of impeachment yet, but that's part of the necessity of revelation. We need to know what it is he found so we can know one way or the other if action is necessary.
3: I saw, just to change directions a little bit, I I saw your TED Talk, which I thought was really uh, amazing. And that was the sound that, you know, uh, people heard earlier of you talking about how you had to uh, recalibrate. And because of the way uh, that, this election went for you, um, which I don't count as a loss. And I know a lot of people kind of look at it that way. Do people constantly come up to you and ask, how are you doing? Like, they're like, <laughs> like they expect you to be, I think you made reference to this in your TED Talk, to like in the fetal position or something all the time. <laughs> Is that grown a little weary with people asking you, like, you okay?
2: Well, actually, I'm pleased that that actually passed. I think the State of the Union response created a new question for people. Uh, So what I get now is more, what are you going to do next? But I'm also grateful because what I get is thank you. People who are pleased that instead of conceding, I, I fought. Whether or not they were living here in Georgia, I think what people are seeing and what they're feeling is this sense of Resistance. And this is beyond the resistance that started in 2016. It's this larger resistance to anyone telling us that our votes don't matter, our voices don't matter. What I get from folks is thank you for speaking up, thank you for staying in the fight, because it creates space for me to stay in the fight. People who only voted for the first time in that election, I want them to know that this is not the way it's supposed to work. Please don't retreat, because that's when voter suppression works. It works when you become convinced that it was your fault or that the system doesn't work. We have to push back twice as hard to make certain the system does work.
3: Well, another question I'm sure that you're getting a lot of is, are you jumping in? Are you, th- <laughs> are you jumping in for 2020? <laughs> What's the status of that? I'm still thinking, and I normally do not
2: engage in public rumination of my future plans, uh, but I'm in a different space now than <laughs> I expect it to be. I try to be very clear that what I do is the right thing at the right time and I'm the right person. Being in politics, you're sometimes encouraged to just run because there's a seat open. I don't think these seats are interchangeable. They're different jobs. It's like saying that you look at a list of jobs at a company and just because a job is open, you should run for it or you should try for it. No, if you don't have the skills, or even if you have the skills, but it's not the right track, you don't do it. And, and I have to think about politics in that way because otherwise you're only in politics to be in politics. I'm in politics because I believe poverty is immoral. I think it is a solvable problem and we have to have good people who are fighting to change that. And so I need to always pick the jobs that help me move the ball forward on that issue. And so 2020 is
3: definitely on the table. Now, you are, though, continuing the fight against voter suppression. Just talk about uh, the next steps that you've taken post-election to continue that fight and ensure that there is a fair democratic election process. Sure. Voter
2: suppression works in three ways. One is registration access, making it hard to get on the rolls and stay on the rolls. Because it's like having a license. If you don't have the license to drive, it doesn't matter if you have a car. If you're not doing it legally, it doesn't count. Number two is ballot access. Once you get and stay on the rolls, making sure you can actually get to the place where you can vote. And then number three is ballot counting, making sure that your vote once you cast it is actually counted, otherwise known as Florida. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know. Back in 2013, I launched the New Georgia Project, which really focused on voter registration. We've registered more than 300,000 people. It's now its own standalone organization. But my first approach was to tackle registration. Where we are now is looking at the fact that under the Secretary of State in Georgia, and unfortunately across this country, we have a range of laws that are being used to diminish the ability to register. We're seeing a law move through the legislature in Tennessee that would criminalize some forms of voter registration we know that in Texas and in North Carolina they've made it difficult to register. Uh, and so we're fi- and we know here in Georgia that we have an exact match system that has been declared by a federal judge to be racially discriminatory and yet the Secretary of State now governor fought to have it reinstituted it so he could continue to use it. So we have to work on the voter registration piece and the use it or use, use it or lose it laws which are the laws that say if you do not vote regularly, we can take you off of the rolls, which disproportionately affect people of color and low-income communities because they typically vote in presidential elections. Then there's ballot access, which means making sure polls stay open, people know where they can go and vote. And then ballot counting, making sure that the machines that we're using aren't hackable, vulnerable, or just flawed. And we know across the country there are these machines being used that George is trying to buy that have been called the worst machines in America. And so my job through Fair Fight Action, which is the group we created, is to make certain that people have access to registration, access to the ballot, and that their votes get counted.
3: Yeah, I um, I mean, voter registration has always been um, something that has perplexed me because I don't know why we don't make it automatic. And despite all this wonderful technology that we have. In our society um, we want to vote or create a voting system that is so draconian <laughs> that it's just like this is not befitting what the society is not to mention my own vote almost got suppressed uh yeah i um i was i'm a registered florida voter because they need help as you as, yeah. you as you have noted right and so i went to vote and uh i had put up an instagram post about i was also moving to la at the same time but All my paperwork was good for Florida. I have a house there, still considered uh, a resident there, licenses in in order. And um, I had done a post about Andrew Gillum, just about, you know, basically issuing my support for him. And uh, I got to to where I was supposed to vote, and my name wasn't on the roll. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how that happened. And God bless them. They did everything to try to figure it out. And then an election official called me and said that there are some people— and um I think you can tell what party they're from and who they support. They saw my Instagram post and called the elections board and tried to get me kicked off the road. And I was like, is that easy? Well <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Until
2: just since 1982, Republicans have been prohibited from taking actions. The Republican Party itself used to engage in such voter intimidation and malfeasance that they were under a consent decree that said they could not interfere with elections in that way. That consent decree was lifted this year, which means that what happened to you is now going to become a matter of course. And that's why there is such urgency for me around the conversation of voter suppression. It's not a myth. It happens every day. It happens in every community. It happens when people register, when their names get taken off the rolls, when their addresses revert to places they've never been, when mismanagement meets incompetence and malfeasance. And it happens in Georgia and around the country. Republicans have are not the only ones who indulge in voter suppression, but they have made it an art form and they have made it a mission. And that's why we have to call it out, because they see the changing demography of America. They see the evolution of our values and they are terrified of it. We have had voter suppression baked into the DNA of America since our inception. The first moment where we said that when they said that black people were only three fifths human, so they could get they could get. Uh, they could count the bodies, but not the souls, essentially. That was a problem when women were told they didn't have the right to vote. Every step we've made to remedy voter suppression has always been pushing back against an authoritarian power that said that it wanted limits on who could be heard. We have to fight voter suppression because they shouldn't have the ability to read an Instagram post and decide your value as a citizen. And the reality is automatic voter registration is easy, it can be accomplished, and it actually makes democracy stronger and we should be demanding it. Mitch McConnell, on the other hand, the leader of the Senate, has said that that's a power grab. I think he's absolutely right. Americans are trying to grab their power back as we should.
3: Yeah, I don't know. He always comes off as somebody who like hates people. And so I'm just like, I don't understand why you ran to represent people when you always come off like you really don't like them. But that's that's that's, that's neither here nor there. Look, I know right now you, you would love to be sitting in the governor's seat. But seeing the response to uh, you not winning and seeing how it feels like outside looking in, the support for you has grown even more I don't wanna say that there was a benefit to you losing, because again, you wanted to be governor, but I guess do you seeing sort of the unintended things that happen as a result, are you I guess on some level, can you at least reconcile the position that you're in because of what it could potentially lead to from here? I believe you examine loss and, and not
2: I don't not losing the election, but the loss of this opportunity and you look for what you can turn it into. And for me, that was creating Fair Fight Action. It was creating Fair Count, which is the organization that we founded uh, that is going to focus on the census count. But it's also, yes, it's created the space for me to have this broader conversation. I would have certainly preferred in my life plan to be blocking terrible bills like the anti-abortion bill that just passed in Georgia, or making certain that automatic voter registration became a conversation we could have. But in lieu thereof, I am deeply grateful and privileged to be in a space where I can talk about the issues that matter and have an audience that listens, but more importantly, have people who see that their ownership of the space is real
3: and that if I can do it, they can do it too. Well, and I'm sure many people have reminded you about how former President Barack Obama lost his Senate race, but did go on to be president. The real thing, I mean, is interesting, obviously, as your politics are and- what you have to say about voter suppression, as a writer, I want to talk to you about writing because I know that's near and dear to your heart as it is to mine. For a lot of people who don't know this, uh, you've written a total of nine books, eight of which have been romance novels. How did you get into writing about romance? So I actually wanted to write uh, an espionage novel.
2: I was in my third year of law school. My ex-boyfriend and friend uh, sent me his dissertation on this chemical he discovered called microzeolites, or he'd, he'd studied. And I was like, ooh, this could do these really interesting things, and you could turn it into this, like, chemical weapon, and you could have this spy, this amazing woman who has to stop the the evil organization from misusing it. And he said, none of that could happen. I'm like, shut up. This is why we broke up. Then I decided to start writing it. And I had some friends in law school who'd been in publishing, and I talked to them about the book. And every single one said, publishers do not publish spy novels by or about women. And then I was also warned that I would be hard pressed to find an African-American woman as a heroine of any mainstream uh, novel in that way. And I mean, that's the time you had Terry McMillan, you had Alice Walker, but you could name all of the black authors. (laughs) And so I thought, well, I have this amazing story I wanna tell. I know how to write and I know I've seen women in espionage. And I realized that was Journal Hospital and Nora Roberts novels. So I was like, huh, I'll just make my spies fall in love. And so I did. I wrote the novel exactly the way I planned to write it, but I made my spies fall in love and I made it more romantic. So I ended up in the romantic suspense genre. Derek, who's a lovely man, uh, although I was still a little peeved with him at the time I wrote the book, uh, was one of the villains and winds up uh, languishing in prison for the rest of his natural life in the book. But you know. So the ex was Chad? Is that no, no? That was another one. So oh, oh, Der- oh, sorry,
3: Der- player. Oh, yeah. So Derek
2: was my first.
3: Okay, ex. I got you. All that was the right. first
2: boyfriend. So all right, yeah. all right. And then
3: Chad was another- Chad
2: led to me writing the manifesto of my existence. Gotcha. Yeah. And so do you? Take- I react very strongly to breakup.
3: <laughs> I was gonna say. So do you take? strands of, of of relationships and they, you put them
2: in there. Oh, absolutely. Okay. In fact, I use the names of friends. I've got a serial killer novel, uh, romance novel called Never Tell. Mm-hmm. I think I wrote it uh, during my first year practicing law. And I had a, num- a number of friends who wanted to be in the book. And I'm like, look, I'll put you in my book, but you will die. And so I, w- I was at my house. I shared with my older sister. She was living with me. She was in grad school at the time. And I had this whiteboard where I was mapping out the novel and I had to kill a lot of people for the serial killer. And I was using the names of people she and I both knew. And she had a friend come over for something and I'm in the back and I hear this woman gasp and I come out and she's looking at my board where I list all these people that she knows and how I plan to kill them, but she didn't know I was a writer. And so I'm explaining to her as she slowly moves towards the door, (laughs) like, I'm not crazy. I'm not a psychopath.
3: Well, I mean, given how much you seem to love writing, I mean, I'm kind of stunned you still chose politics, especially <laughs> after, you know, you were able to write a novel. I couldn't imagine being able to write a novel while still attending Yale. Did you just consider writing a, a really good hobby or side thing you like to do? Like, why not just become a, a full-time writer?
2: I've always tried to do multiple things at once, in part because I th- I think too often we limit ourselves to one space. And and for some, that's where they wanna be. But the way my mind works, I'm usually doing two or three things. And so, you know, I started a small business when I was the Democratic leader. I wrote novels while I was being a lawyer. And for me, the issue is making sure that I'm giving the most I can to the things I'm doing, but never saying "This this is the only thing I am. I mean, part of it's just having a backup plan. And I have like four to five hundred redundancy plans for everything <laughs> because, you know, in politics, you may or may not win. In writing, you may or not may not be published. Uh, in business, you may or may not succeed. And so I just try to make sure everything's always in motion so I can get something done.
3: Uh, is this all the stuff that's
2: on the spreadsheet?
3: <laughs> yes. And okay. in fact,
2: there are there are columns for the writing I plan to do. The uh, So it's political, nonprofit private sector, and the writing. And there is a column for personal relationships that I have long neglected. uh, So I'm trying to start fixing that up a little bit too. Uh,
3: Well, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with something you said. Work-life balance is a lie. Like that does not (laughs) exist. Uh, You can maybe shift it at different points, but generally speaking, it doesn't exist. And you know, other than the writing part, another thing we have in common is 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 a intense love of a particular soap opera. I am not a General Hospital fan. I'm young and the restless. I've been watching it for twenty plus years. And when I write, I usually write to Young and the Restless. I DVR Everyday Show because it's like a, something I don't have to think about. I'm like, what? Sharing out another baby. <laughs> oh, but it's not really our baby. Okay, got it. So, always loved you know, soap operas because of where they can transport Mm -hmm. you. And it's so ridiculous. And so my backup plan would be to be a writer for Young and the Restless. And it's a solid plan. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's the longest running uh, soap opera now, been number one for years. So with General Hospital, do you still watch one? And how long did that go if you don't still watch? I don't still watch it in part
2: because, you know, I had this day job thing (laughs) that really, now I made it through law school. I made it through my first couple of years as an attorney I will tell you two things happened. One, they changed Carly again, which just kind of annoyed me. Uh, I, I, and I liked all the Carlys, but I was really tied, wed to a certain Carly. And then I think I just had, there was a, a stretch where I didn't watch it. And by the time I got back to it, I just was like, oh, Not the I'm, same. I'm okay. But, you know, I think the allegiance to, to soap operas is incredibly important. It's usually shaped by our parents, our moms, and our grandmothers. You know, we only had ABC. So I didn't see Young and the Restless until I was in college. <laughs> I appreciate the story of Victor and how many times Sharon has had her memory wiped and oh, all yeah. the things that have happened
3: to her. She's bipolar now. There's exactly. a, it's a see, lot going on. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: I was I was always an ABC. So all my children, General Hospital, One Life to Live, fan.
3: Yeah, my mother, she, it was all my children. Right, so um, Susan Lucci, gets Susan us all. Lucci, and I'm still remember old enough to remember when they had the black couple on there. Uh, it was Debbie Morgan played oh, her, Angie and Jesse, Angie and Jesse, and so um, <laughs> the, the, I know it's <laughs> just, just it's funny how you never forget <laughs> these things, despite the fact, and even I mean I'm old enough to remember when Luke and Laura when their wedding was on primetime as television, it should have been, as it should have been one of the biggest television events uh, of all time. So you mentioned that you're trying to get better at the balance relationship. Parts of side. Uh, are there things that you do just for yourself that, t- in order to keep this kind of crazy life of yours, in a little more balance? So again, I, I
2: don't ever use balance. I use, I try to keep them measured, meaning I do enough to make sure that I'm doing it right. And if I can't do it right, I I probably don't do much of it. And that's that was the the personal side, and and that was the wrong way to think about it. And that's what I'm trying to fix it. But I watch an inordinate amount of television. I love TV. It makes me very happy. You're in Game of Thrones, Hive, aren't you? I am. And science fiction, uh, Good Place, uh, Blackish. I mean, I am the reason that Entertainment Weekly remains a magazine. It helps me stay up to date. It sits there with my economist. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's that's balanced.
2: Yes. <laughs> and Fast Company. Those are the three magazines. If you come in my house, those are the three you're going to see. But it helps, and it helps me unwind. I love reading. My mom was a librarian when we were growing up and as a writer, you know, and like you, I mean, I just appreciate the written word. And I will say this, even though this is your podcast, I just hope you understand what your influence on writers and others is. It's the fact that you use your language so precisely and effectively to tell stories that go unseen. And while you do it from the vantage point of a journalist, it means so much to the rest of us to see the bravery of your willingness to use your words. So I, I'm going to just sneak that in there. You, you hopefully, did. Hopefully I, you can't cut it out. I know. So, I'm not going to cut go. it out. It'll, it'll, <laughs>
3: it will remain. That is definitely one of the best compliments I've ever received, especially coming from somebody um, in your position. I am inwardly blushing right now as, as I try to be, you know, sort of pseudo professional here. Uh, so given that you're in Game of Thrones Hive, I was late uh i've started me and my fiance started binge watching it last month we finished got up to the season eight premiere who do you want to sit on the iron throne see i don't do that oh <laughs> now i was
2: late too i was i got there earlier than you i didn't start until season five but i had managed to avoid knowing anything about game of thrones so i saw the red wedding at like 3 a.m by myself saying it was hard oh i i was very, i needed a moment moment seriously I'm like, I'm not going to work tomorrow.
3: No I was minute. like, you killed everybody I like in one scene?
2: <laughs> it was it was devastating. So here's where I am. What I love about Game of Thrones is how they have elevated characters but maintained the heart of the story. And each time there's an elevation, they don't do it at the diminution necessarily of someone else. That this ability to make you root for Daenerys and root for Jon and root for Yara, because I don't count her out, and recognize that Arya Stark is just badass. That's good writing to me. Yeah, And so I'm just waiting to see what they do. I don't actually have a dire wolf in the fight. I just want to see who wins.
3: (laughs) Well, it's weird because even characters you should hate, you have a begrudging respect for. Like, Cersei's awful. She's, she's a terrible she's person. A horrible person. But yet I respect her gangsters so much. Who blows up a whole bunch of priests, a whole city? She blew them up. They, they, they weren't sh- even blowing up people like that then. And she found a way. Shouldn't have made her walk down the street, man. See what I'm saying? Shame. It's like I, I you want to see shame. <laughs> here's some shame. I have begrudging respect for her level of violence and willing to do things that are downright awful in order to achieve a goal. I mean Jamie, I didn't like Jamie at first. And then it kind of came back around, and now it, it, Jamie has a core of
2: no, he has a set of principles that he lives by, and there's a core of nobility to him that you know you saw when he was with you know when he saved Bran of Tarth, when he saved his brother twice. Like, the moment you think he's gonna succumb to the evil energy that is Cersei. He shows once again that he actually does have a core set of values. They don't extend to "let's don't sleep with your sister," but, right? <laughs> but what he, he does with Buddy, like he's, the, he, he, tries. he
3: he has some goodness that's yeah. in him. I mean, he's a very complex character that way. Yeah, it's funny. On one hand, I'm totally disgusted by you know Cersei and Jamie's relationship, yet rooting for Jon Snow and. Daenerys. I, I don't know why. It's like incest is incest, but I'm like, well, I'm okay with this kind of incest. I'm like, you're sleeping with your aunt, but all right. Yeah, I got to part ways with you there. So
2: <laughs> here's the thing. I, I I, understand the relationship, but now that he has knowledge, much like our favorite romance novels and our favorite soap operas, when you know better, do better.
3: Right. Well, uh, not going to quite let you go yet. We have one final segment and Hopefully, you're somebody who's comfortable with cursing. I can listen. You can listen. You don't have to participate. I'm the
2: daughter of ministers. I've heard cursing before.
3: Okay. Okay. All right. Just checking because I did read that, that you had heard that. But uh, so I'm from Mississippi. (laughs) And you're also from Mississippi. So, I close out every podcast with a segment called Fuck It, I'm Bothered. The title of the podcast is obviously called Unbothered, but there are sometimes little things in our lives that do bother us. So, Fuck It, I'm Bothered next. Where Stacy will just listen and hopefully pray for me after this segment. <laughs>
4: uh-huh.
3: Okay, as we do every show, we're going to close this with Fuck It, I'm Bothered, of which... Stacey Abrams, because she is far less of a heathen than I am, is not going to be participating in this. (laughs) She would just be listening to me rant uh, and curse, though not too much. I'll, I'll be sort of respectful of my guest here. But Fuck It, I'm Bothered, where I talk about, of course, something little that's bothering me, maybe even something big, but it still keeps me in an unbothered state. So that's never going anywhere. But nevertheless, sometimes things need to be addressed. So Fuck It, I'm Bothered. I'm Bothered by people. I'm in the process of planning a wedding. Right. Getting married later this year. And I'm bothered by people who keep saying to me, oh, I know I'm invited to the wedding. It's like if you have to say, oh, I know I'm invited to the wedding, you're not invited to the wedding. The people who (laughs) know they're invited to the wedding know they're invited. So don't try to that's that's what I call like sort of going, you know, kind of around the bend to try to basically politic for invite to a wedding to put it on my mind that I should invite you, even though your ass wasn't invited anyway. <laughs> so stop saying to me and also to my fiance, Oh, I know I'm coming to the wedding. Now, you know, and you probably are, which is why you're asking. Now, the only person who can get away with this, um, this is time for, a, I guess, a little bit of a polite stunt. Um, Anita Baker actually tweeted me that she hopes she gets an invite to the wedding. Anita, Miss Anita. I'm from Detroit. So Anita Baker is a legend. Um, She's a legend to a lot of people, but especially from people from Detroit. Anita, I just need your address. you invited. And should you come and a microphone happens to land in your lap and you want to give me a little (laughs) bit of giving you the best that I got? I'm not going to be mad. But yes, Anita, you are the person that can say that. Everybody else, hell no. If you say that to me, you're not invited. Anyway, now that I'm at a smaller octave here, Stacy, thank you so much for coming back. I guess I'm not invited to the wedding. No, see, you <laughs> I, didn't. I, you didn't have to ask. I, I, I'm joking. You didn't have to ask. <laughs> no, no. And they, I
2: said, I said, I guess I'm not invited to the wedding because <laughs> I think that that might be a more clever way of trying to get an invite.
3: <laughs> see, the thing is, you never had to ask, Stacy. Well, thank you. You on to invite list? All right high five. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us. Good luck with everything you're doing in fighting voter suppression. And I'll be looking forward to that 2020 announcement. Thank you, Jamel. This has been delightful. I appreciate it. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill.